I'm glad you're here today. This is kicking off this new series called This Is Us. If you've seen the TV show, I haven't, but my wife swears it's awesome. Anybody else watch it? Yeah, it's, so what we're doing is we're kind of telling the story of us, of Connection Christian Church. So if you've been here for a while, maybe this is a reminder and a refresher to you of what's important to us. If you're newer here, you come at an awesome time because you get to see our heartbeat, the things that we really care about and the things that are important to us. I think if I could just sum it up in a nutshell, it's like what Chad talked about. People are important to God. You have never locked eyes with somebody who doesn't matter to God. And part of our mission here is to care about the people that God cares about. And if you're here, I care about you, and hopefully you care about me. And so we're going to, through the next several weeks, talk about all the different ways Connection does what we do and how we express the love of God through our church. So I'm, I'm really glad you're here. And we dive into this. One thing I want you to know today is this is a place where people have got each other's backs. We're here for each other. We care about each other, and we show that in real tangible ways. Kind of like a story I read about in the news. There's a man named Lawrence Ripple who last year did something very bad. He went into a Kansas City, Kansas bank and handed the teller a note. It simply said, I have a gun. Give me money. <laughs> and which the terrified teller did. He cleared out $2,924. And this is when things got a little bit strange. Lawrence Ripple walked out into the lobby of the bank and sat down. And the security guard walked over to him, didn't even really know what was going on yet, just walked over and said, sir, do you need any help? What's going on? He said, I think you're the, I'm the guy you're looking for. And he was. The police came and they arrested him and they took him away. That's when things even get stranger. The detectives sit down with him and they start questioning him. Why did you rob a bank and then not leave? And here's where things just go. Like, what? He uh, apparently, this guy has no criminal record at all. Apparently, he'd gotten in a fight with his wife earlier that afternoon, and it got pretty intense. He wrote that note at home. I have a gun. I'm going to, you know, give me money. He showed it to his wife and said, I'm going to rob a bank to get away from you. And he did. He's, I'm just going to get away from you. You want to know what's really cool about this story? So, sentencing was, um, I think it was in uh, June this year. You know what the judge sentenced Lawrence Ripple to? Six months of home confinement with the wife he was robbing a bank to get away from. Can you say karma, boys and girls? <laughs> that's not the end of the story, and that's not why I'm, I love the delicious irony of it, but that's not why I'm telling you the story. It actually goes on because... The, the detectives and the prosecuting attorney, everybody's wondering, why does a man with no criminal record, a man who's never done anything wrong in his life, a man who until just recently apparently really loved his wife and had a great relationship with her, why would this guy do this? So they dug a little deeper. Turns out, so he robbed the bank late 2016. Back in 2015, he had quadruple bypass surgery. If you know anything about this, and you maybe just tuck this away for your parents, or your grandparents, or yourself, uh, one of the side effects of heart surgery is clinical depression. Up to 25% of people who have heart surgery end up having severe depression. If you know about it, you can treat it. No problem. His went undiagnosed. So what had happened was for over a year, his family just thought, wow, he's just getting grumpier and grumpier in his old age, and he was actually suffering from severe depression. Once they diagnosed it in prison and gave him the right medication, he was back to his normal self, which is where the story even gets stranger. He comes to sentencing in June, and this is what I love about this story. A whole lot of people came together for Lawrence. So, of course, his defense attorney went to the judge, explained everything that happened. He's on medication now. He really does love his wife. He, he's sorry for what he did. Be lenient with him. His defense attorney said that. 
The prosecuting attorney said to the judge, we understand what happened here. We ask you to show him mercy and be lenient. The owner of the bank that he robbed sent a note to the judge and went there personally and said, be lenient with him. We were so... The teller that he terrified asked the judge, be merciful with him. And that's exactly what the judge did. When she sentenced him to six months home confinement, she had to acknowledge that he had actually robbed a bank, but this is the absolute minimum sentence she could give him. She was as nice to him as she could be because everybody pulled together for this guy. And I love a story like that where people come together and get the right thing done and everybody goes, yeah, isn't that awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome? And I just love, you know, irony aside of being sentenced to be confined with your wife, just the, the idea that, yeah, People still do this kind of thing for each other. And I love that. I would love to think that if I robbed a bank, you guys would be there for me, right? (laughs) Come on, at least somebody would, right? That's what I like to think about when I think of connection. This is a place where we're here for each other. And I'll be honest with you, I'll come bail you out of jail. And hopefully if I was in jail, you'd bail me out. We're here for each other. We're friends here. And that's one of the things that's important to us. We've got each other's back. Sadly, as I look at American culture today, I can't say the same for everybody. It's one of the aspects of our culture that's very um, disturbing is how disconnected from one another we are. And you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Netflix and Cocoon and everybody goes in their garage and shuts the door before they ever get out of the car. We've watched this happen for a long time. And uh, like our, our grandparents' generation would look at it and go, what's wrong with you kids? But this is kind of where we've become. The, the general societal survey takes a, just a brief snapshot of our culture every year. One of the questions they asked was about friendships. And Carolyn Beaton of Forbes magazine talked about this in an article she wrote. It was an awesome article. She, she points out that since 1985, the number of people who say they have no close friends has tripled. And I'm, you know, if you think about for yourself, you don't have to hold up any fingers here, but they asked the question, if you had a significant issue in your life, you needed to talk to somebody, who, how many significant people in your life do you have that you could ask them to, to talk about it or help you? Do you know that it has now come to the point where um, the majority of Americans say two? And I'm kind of like, I've got my mom and my dad. There's two right there. Maybe you say, oh, I've got my spouse. Two. That's whole, and 25% of Americans say zero. I have absolutely no one that I trust enough or care enough about or that cares about me enough that I could ask them about something that's going on in my life. Which is ironic because are we not the most connected we have ever been in history, technologically speaking? My gosh, this thing? How is it that we are more connected than ever before Yet we're lonelier than ever before. So one of the things that's coming out in the research is that social media, which makes us feel like we're connected to everybody, because I see what's going on in your life every day, and you see what's going on, you see what I'm eating for supper, you see who I'm with. It gives you the sensation of connectedness without the actual physical benefits that come along with being connected to people, which is why you can have 500 friends on Facebook and still feel incredibly lonely and disconnected. Here's why. What they're finding is... The aspect of being on social media or talking to somebody or feeling like you know a lot of people, you get all those associated sensations that, okay, I'm connected, I've got friends, but there's nothing quite like actually being in the same physical space talking to someone. And so if you are not literally with somebody talking with them, sharing life together, and you're just reading their their news feed or whatever, it it would be kind of like for your entire life, all you ever ate was junk food. So you would never feel hungry. 
but how healthy would you really be? And you may feel relationally full because, you know, you, you're, everybody knows what's going on in my life and I'm showing and I'm seeing everybody else. And, but you're not getting all the benefits, which is one of the reasons why so many people are feeling disconnected and lonely. And like they really don't know who they turn to because good luck getting somebody to help you through Snapchat when you need to move a piano. It just doesn't work, right? Now, I'm telling you this. I'm, I'm certainly not ranting against social media. I'm on social media. You're welcome to connect with me on Facebook or Instagram, whatever. It's cool. And I'm certainly not trying to poke a bruise if you're sitting here going, yeah, I already know that I'm lonely and disconnected. I don't need anybody to point that out to me. I, I'm just trying to point out that one of the things that's important to us here at Connection intersects with one of the felt needs of our culture. Why do you think we named this place Connection to begin with, right? We're highlighting one of the things we think God put us here to do. Our purpose here, and if you've been here a while, you've heard me say this a million times, I hope you could say it, we're here to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus. And so we come together and we worship God and we teach people to follow Jesus, but we also think it's very important that one of the things God did when he sent Jesus was to help us reestablish that connection that we've lost. So that's what's so important to us as a church. And what I find is, and as I've talked about this, and as we've actually done what we do as a church, what we're doing is so appealing to a disconnected culture. And what we have to offer is what people are looking for. And maybe it's what you've been looking for. And maybe it's like that thing you feel is lacking in your life. People are just starving for that. Which I think, if you were to go ahead and take a Bible, we're going to get into this now. This, is, this explains why the earliest church we find described in the Bible in the book of Acts grew so rapidly. Because they had this nailed. This whole connecting to God and each other through Jesus. People, when they heard about that, they couldn't get enough of it. So if you want to go ahead and try to find Acts in your Bible, I'll just tell you this. The church exploded as it started. Now, one of the things that obviously made the church grow was the message that they offered people. Right, the message of Jesus that God is for us, not against us. That God is willing to not hold our sins against us. That you, everything you've ever done, past, present, and future, is forgiven. And that God's going to give you eternal life and adopt you into his family. Who wouldn't say yes to a message like that? So the message was powerful. There's forgiveness of your sins through Jesus. There's eternal life through Jesus. So that's one reason the church grew. But I also think it was the connecting people to each other that made the church grow. So I'm going to put some verses up on the screen. You go ahead and keep Acts open because we're going to drill down to Acts chapter 2. But I'm going to pull some other verses out of Acts that describe the earliest days of the church. And I'm going to read them out loud. When I get to the word that's uh, like all capitals and bold, I want you to read that word out loud with me. You guys are up for some audience participation or uh, church participation. I said two weeks in a row I called you audience. You're not. We're all in this together. So, hey, so let's read this. I'll read it, and when we get to the bold word, you read it with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let's go on to the next verse. Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Let's go down to Acts 2.46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Awesome. We'll keep going. Acts 4.24. When they heard this, they raised their voices Together in prayer to God. In Acts 5.12, all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's in the temple in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week we came together to break bread. When I look at the earliest description of the church, it was a together kind of place. They liked each other. They, they were there for each other. 
They would share the apostles' teaching together, which we now would call the Bible. They would pray together. They would share bread together, which would be a meal. It would be communion. It would be all of that. And they would pray together, and they would share their struggles together, and it was all together. And I, that's God's vision for the world. And if you think about what's wrong with the world, it's our disconnectedness that makes us enemies, and it makes us just do our own thing, and we get so selfish, and I don't want to be inconvenienced by your problems and your drama, so I'll just do my... And then when I get to a point where I need somebody, there's nobody there for me, God says, into this disconnected, sin-filled world where our relationships are broken, I'm going to start pulling people together, and I'm going to start creating a new family, and I'm going to adopt people into it. And it's a together kind of place where you've got every generation worshiping together. So we've got like the greatest generation and the silent generation and the baby boomer generation and the Gen Xer generation and the millennials. And then I don't even know what we call the next generation after that, but all together. And we've got people who listen to hip hop and we've got people who listen to rock and we might have some people who listen to country together. We learn to live together. We have Cardinals fans and uh, the other people worshiping together. We love everybody here. And it's just that kind of a place where we don't really worry about where you came from or what you've done or you know, what you haven't done or how long you've been going to church or how long you haven't. God doesn't worry about that nearly as much as what's in front of you in your future. And we care about that we are in this together. Because the thing that unites all of us is that we were a hot mess before God found us. We never could have figured this out on our own. And God saved every single one of us. And that puts us on equal ground. And God says, look, we're going to do life together. We're going to be here for each other together. And for connection, I want you to know this. For us, as we move forward to be everything that God wants us to be, we're going to have to do this together, all of us, because we're in this together. Now, I want to put a simple challenge to you today as we start this series, This Is Us. One of the things that is so important to me, and I know it's important to a lot of you, and I want to get us all on the same page on this, is that we have to be a community that comes together. Not just people who happen to have the thing in common is that we happen to be in the same place at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning sometimes, but that we truly are a family and that we're together. Now, there's a couple of things that will grow out of that, but I want to go ahead and take you to the Bible. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We looked at this just a second ago when and we're reading those verses together. I want to read it again. I want you to see a, just a little snapshot picture of what the earliest church looked like, what their life was like 2,000 years ago when the church began. It starts at verse 42. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, get this. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as they had need. Every single day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love what Chad said earlier about maybe once a month and then once a week somebody being saved. So many people have come to get connected to God through here. I love that picture that daily, like people are like, I'm in. I want to be part of this. What you guys have is amazing. I've never seen anything like it in my life before, and I want that in my life. And you look at it, one of the things that they did, it, if you were just like an outsider, you might read this and go, this sounds like a hippie commune in California. Like, the, like is this weird? No, it really wasn't. It was, in the, the original language, they would have called it the, the commun, com, common life, the shared life, the fellowship. 
It was just a really cool, appealing thing. Nobody was lonely in a group like this. Nobody had a need in a group like this because you figure out, oh, you need something? Well, if I've got it, it's yours. You can have it. And if I'm in need, I'm sure you'll help me too. It was just this wonderful thing. And it says they devoted themselves to these things. Let me ask you a question. What are you so devoted to in your life today that you do it on a daily basis? I got to think about that. I'm, I'm pretty devoted to Diet Mountain Dew. I've got that nailed. That's a good one. Anybody else devoted to coffee every day? Yeah. How many of you are devoted to shopping? How about you're devoted to going to work? <laughs> no, and going to school, right? The early church was devoted. I mean, they were committed. They were focused in on being together and opening the word and, and sharing with each other. And, and notice, as they devoted themselves to this, they were, they were like attracting people in. And you know, there's a season in our life where we're coming to a close here at the theater. I don't know, some of you have been around long enough. Maybe you're, some of you are newer. We've been here since November of 2011. And that's kind of drawn to a close. We are devoted to the theater no more as we built 1332 Fizey. And uh, I am so going to miss not having my sinuses kick in the moment I walk in the door here. That's uh, so looking forward to that. <laughs> as we go into the new era of our church life, we need to be devoted to each other like these early Christians were devoted to each other. If we're going to do what God put us here to do, this is part of it. This is how we reach out. We need to be connected. So as we, I want to give you some, a couple of practical things to do with this. As we devote ourselves to being like that, as we devote ourselves to carrying out our mission, just two things. You can think about these. Hopefully you're embracing these already or that you would be willing to think about embracing these things. First one, I would just invite you to devote yourself to sharing weekend worship together. You guys already get this one. You can put a check mark because you are here right now. And so you're doing that. But the idea that we would commit ourselves and devote ourselves to being here together, worshiping God in a certain place at a certain time. And, and what we do when we make this a priority, what we're saying is the people at my church are a priority to me. We're saying God's a priority to me. And this is important. I'm, it's important enough to me that I'm going to devote myself to being at a certain place, a certain time, on a certain day. I'm not going to keep my options open. I'm going to say no to other things because I've already said yes to this. A great verse in the Bible that talks about this is Hebrews 10.25. And it was written to other Christians. And it said, let's not give up meeting together, as some people are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, that's a capital D, the day. That means we're talking about the day that Jesus comes back. And we have no idea when that's going to be. But in order to be ready for that day when Jesus comes back, which could be today or next week or I don't know when, we need to keep meeting together. We need each other. And so here's the commitment I'm asking you to make. If I'm healthy and I'm in town, I'll be in church. I've asked you to make that commitment before. Many of you have done that, and you've told me how much of a difference it's made in your life. I would invite you at some point, if you have a calendar on your phone that you use or whatever you use, just go ahead and make an appointment, 10 a.m. Sunday morning, Connection Christian Church, and you put in whatever address we're at, and then hit repeat for like 52 or 104 or infinity. <laughs> then I've got something. So anytime something comes up, you pull out your calendar and go, oh, you know what? I can't do that. I've got something already. You don't wait till Sunday morning to see how you feel. You don't, you know, something better comes along. Wouldn't it be great if you said to somebody, no, I can't do that. I'm already going to church. I'll be a little late. Instead of saying, well, I can't go to church because something came up. And I understand. That's why I say if you're healthy and you're in town, be here. Because there's something that is just, it happens when we're in the same physical space with each other that 
please listen to the podcast if you missed. That's great. But it's not quite the same as being here. Who knows, but maybe that there's somebody who needed to talk to you, and because you were here, they left encouraged. Or vice versa, you left encouraged because of a conversation. Or you served in a way that somebody needed. Or maybe you were served by someone. And, and we can't do that through not being here. So let's make this commitment. I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be for these people. And I would just, uh, just one more step forward in this, and uh, I'm going to poke a little further before I let this go. Please don't come in here with a consumer mentality that says, all right, what am I going to get out of this? And I'm not sure that I got much out of service day. Come in here thinking, what am I going to give today? What can I contribute? Who can I encourage? Who can I pray for? Who can I think about before God? Who can I just be open to? Is there something that somebody needs me to serve them in? Come here with that attitude, and we're going to see this church, and we're going to see our lives explode the way God wants us to. And it doesn't matter if it's the theater. It doesn't matter if it's 1332 Fizey. God can do that anywhere as we gather together. Now, there's, a, there's another thing I want us to think about. It says in Acts chapter 2, remember how it said they gathered together in the temple, in Solomon's colonnade? It was like a huge place. They could get thousands of people together there. But then it also said they broke bread in each other's homes. So if you think about it, there's this picture here of being in a large group, like our Sunday morning gathering. But then there's also that small group thing, which is the other commitment I'd like to ask you to think about. Devote, consider devoting yourself to uh, an everyday life with the other people in this church. So commit yourself to the weekend worship and maybe commit to everyday life. One easy way that you can experience this, we actually program around this. We call them our connect groups, or we used to call them our life groups. And Chad mentioned that. He's in a group, and they are awesome. I'm in a group. I love my group. So what you know is when you've got a group, you've got a group of people that you can count on. And you've got a group of people that maybe something you share can be useful to them. And so it's your way of saying, I'm not just Sunday morning and done. I've got a group of people that I know through the week and who know me and who miss me when I'm gone. And I miss them. And there's something just so powerful about that, sharing life together. And I, I've, I've done this for years. And I believe that this is the way that you take a church like ours and you don't just show up and leave and feel like nobody ever knew that you were here. The powerful thing is when you drill down and there's some people that you're sharing your life together. And when we talk about what our connect groups do, there's three components to it. It's very simple. We want to have some kind of a, an element of just sharing life together. So like my group, we eat a lot because we love to eat. Maybe in your group, if you're in a life group or a connect group, you do that. There's the sharing life together. There's supporting each other. There's like mutual care and concern. So if somebody in your group's having a baby or if they're in the hospital or sick, you're taking food and you're taking care of each other, taking care of their kids, whatever. And then there's spiritual growth. We do open the Bible. We try to just answer each other's questions. And there's a, somebody who's obviously prepared a little bit and studied a little bit to get things ready. And they said, I'll be the facilitator. And somebody else has said, I'll be the host. I'll open my home so that people can come over. And this is the way that the church becomes more intimate and rooted together. And we become friends. If you're not in a small group, a connect group, why don't you do that today? Make, think about this commitment that I will devote myself to doing everyday life with my church. And Merlene Jackson is our life groups, our connect groups champion, and she is awesome at that. And she will help you find a group. Maybe you're like, you know, I could even open my home and somebody can use my house as the place that our group meets. Or maybe you're thinking, I can study. 
I can ask questions. I can be a facilitator for a group. And you don't have to know the entire Bible. You just have to know a little bit more than the people in the group. And if you study the material, you know more than the people in the group that week. So there you go. I was talking to Kathy Thomas a little while back. She's one of our members here. And she sent me a note back when her mom was sick and going through hospice. And it was a very difficult time in her life. She said, I could share this with you. And she was just telling me all the things we're going through. And then she said this. I love this. She said, I am so glad for our small group and living our messy lives together. And if you're not in a group, you're missing out on a whole layer of care that you could experience. So that's my simple challenge to you. As we take this core value that we are here for each other, will you just take that value and say, I will be at Sunday morning? And will you consider if you're not in a connect group, I will get in a group. I will find ways through the week to be for my church family. As I close this out, I was thinking about something that Jesus actually said. He said this to a group of Christians, but this would apply to anybody. He said this in Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with them and they with me. And I love this picture because like Jesus is saying, I'm willing to share life with you. I'm willing to have your back. I'll even, I bet Jesus, I know, I've seen what he's done. He'll bring the food. Two fish, five loaves of bread. Jesus got the food covered. He'll share a meal with you. How cool would that be for you to say, I'm living my life with Jesus, and I'm living my life with people that Jesus loves and cares about. And I would love for you to be able to look back on your life and say, I went through some difficult times, but I never went through difficult times alone. And maybe that's been your story up to this point, but it doesn't have to be from this point forward. You don't have to go through life without God. And you don't have to go through life without people who care about you because right around you are a number of people who will be there for you. And I would hope that you would be there for them as well. But if that's not true, we're going to take some time. We're going to sing another song. I'm going to pray for you. Would you right now start asking God, what is it that you want me to do with this?